Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hi, I'm Linda Regano, co-host of the WAM Podcast. It's an honor to host this podcast where listeners get to hear candid conversations with some amazing female leaders. You'll get to hear their stories, personal and professional challenges that they've overcome, and more importantly, how they're giving back to their communities and oftentimes the world. We hope that you find their stories to be as inspirational as we do. And joining me today is Lynn Keir, Vice President of Communications and Branding for the Schaeffler Group USA. Schaeffler is a global integrated automotive and industrial supplier with 90,000 people across the world. And Lynn is probably one of the most dynamic people I have ever met. She's worked in a male-dominated industry for most of her career and in just about every role from finance to sales to operation, HR, you name it. And now in her very favorite role, Lynn is building a successful communications practice for one of the world's leading manufacturers. Lynn also has two master's degrees, one in human resource development and another in economics. This woman is a powerhouse. So join me in a warm welcome to Lynn. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you could be with us. So Lynn, I was hoping that you could uh, maybe give our listeners a, a little more information. You've got an amazing background, both educational and professional. Could you just tell our listeners a little bit more about you and your professional journey? Linda, yes, thank you so much. And thank you very much for having me on your podcast. It's a privilege. I went to a small private middle a liberal arts college and graduated in 1990 with an economics degree. And from there, I was privileged to have a, an appointment at the Comptroller of the Currency. It was a two-year appointment there. And at the time, to be successful at the Comptroller of the Currency, one needed a, a PhD. And I had an amazing experience at my alma mater, and my economics professor and guide suggested I look at the University of South Carolina. They had a great economics program. So I was looking at the University of South Carolina and noticed that they not only do they have an incredible econ program, but they have a master's in international business studies. It was number one in the country. And it goes wow. between number one and number two with Thunderbird. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go there. I'm going to get my economics degree because, of course, that was what I was really passionate about. But I want to take advantage of all the MIBS programs and all of the MIBS, MIBS studies. So I got a really strong concentration in international business and Japanese language training, which was super amazing. At the time, yes, at the time, General Motors in Detroit was looking to diversify its workforce. It had so many amazing people, but they were all from the Midwest. And they said, let's go to some key international business schools and try to find some diversity in candidates. And voila, there I was. Because I had taken part of these MIDS classes, I was able to interview with General Motors. And I loved them. They loved me. And before you knew it, I was in Detroit. And I started <laughs> off in the finance world. And I was really lucky. I feel like, Linda, a theme in my world is I've been very lucky. I joined the finance group and I was part of a rotational program. So I was able to get all aspects of finance within a five-year period to understand budgeting and forecasting and estimating and all the different aspects so that I could have a solid foundation of business. But after five years, I found myself lacking a little bit of the interaction that I wanted with people. And so from there, I talked with my supervision and they said, you know what, Lynn, we have an opportunity for you in training and you can help us develop training for financial professionals. And so from there, I went to trip to that and I thought, you know what, this is so exciting. It was my passion. I loved it. 
So I decided, since I was not really a training professional as much as I was passionate about it, I went back to get a second graduate degree, and that was human resource development. So in the mornings, I would work all day, and I would be using what I learned in, at night, because it was a night school, during the day. And then when I'd go to class, I was able to take examples of what I did during work and talk about it during the class. And it was this really synergistic situation, and it was really powerful. But at a, after a certain period of time, the staff downsized, and I decided that I would be the one to look for another position, and I moved into operations. And I guess what's, I think another common thread is, you don't know where your path is going to take you, but sometimes you just have to take a chance and go and have the confidence that you have the skill set that you can do whatever it is that's going to be put in front of you. So I didn't really understand operations, but I went for it. I had a great interview. I thought, this is great. They gave me the job or I earned the job. And um, that was fantastic. So from there, I decided that it made sense to go into uh, customer relationship management because the operations job I found after a while, it wasn't really enough for one position. And I was able to eliminate that position, of course, going out of a job, but then finding myself going to this account manager position. And I want to say something here about this job. This was an amazing opportunity for me, but it was all men. They'd all been in this job for decades and they were not exactly receptive to me coming in. In fact, oh, no. I remember the day before I took the was actually transitioning to the to the position. One of the guys, very salty, came to me and basically said, "You can't do this job. Only we can do this job. We're not happy you're in this job, and we're not going to support you at all." Oh. <laughs> I know, oh. right? How did you respond? That and I thought to myself, "I'm going to show you what's what." And uh, they, I will tell you, they hazed me quite a bit, and it was not an easy transition. But I nailed the job. I mean, I did what I needed to do to make it a success uh, because I, I dug deep. But at the time, I felt very alienated and very lonely because there was no one for me to connect with or talk with or find support, which is a learning I've had. You must have a network of people to support you and who you also support. It's a two-way street. I learned so many invaluable skills there. I learned integrity. I learned the importance of diversity. I learned that you have to be tough and you have to maintain your confidence at all times. So, Helen, yeah. The supervisors that um, that you've had along the way, would you call them mentors and in, in encouraging you to take on these roles? Yes, absolutely. Uh, when I moved from training to operations, the training group was actually downsizing. And my boss came to me and said, Lynn, you have what it takes to do just about anything. And we know you're good at this job and we love having you in this job, but we have other people that this is their life and this is they're not going anywhere else. We want you to look outside and find something else. And they helped me. I mean, they, I was upset. At the time, I didn't have the vision to know that they were giving me praise and they had confidence in me. I was like, wait, why do I have to be the one? Um, <laughs> I, right? Like, I love what I'm doing. I just got a graduate degree to do this job. But looking back, I'm like, you know what? Sometimes you don't know how what opportunity you have, you know, and you don't know that it's going to pay off and that what seems like a terrible thing is actually a great thing because that put me into a management position. So I was not a manager. So I went to a management position. I was working with C-suite people. I was working for the top of the division who then said, you know, you need to be my conduit to my staff, which was a challenge in and of itself. Again, all very experienced men in the powertrain, very, very male-dominated industry um, within the automotive group. 
And I was the voice of the boss, which they did not like whatsoever. And that was a very challenging and very interesting experience to be able to learn how to be effective, how to effectively promote what my boss wanted me to promote and not be discouraged because they said, you know, basically, who are you? (laughs) We don't know you. We don't answer to you. We're not going to do what you say. And I had to learn how to get them on board. And what I learned there was you really have to network and you really have to make sure that you talk with people and you understand their situation and they understand yours. And then you can promote what needs to be promoted, but you can't just go in and say, oh, well, the boss told me to do it. So you're going to get on board. Right. You have to prove yourself. You really do. And you have to really dig deep to understand the positions that they're in too. Like you get so used to thinking it's all about you right? I mean, most of us, that's how we feel. It's right because we are who we are. And I'm very guilty of that. And I wasn't always aware of the challenges and opportunities that other people had and that what I might have represented to them that I didn't even realize. Like I thought, I'm just doing my job, but they may have seen it in in a different way. And I needed to really understand that from them. So, you know, that was a very difficult situation and, and a big challenge. And when I left General Motors to go to Delphi, I moved into the sales group. And I have to say, it was such an incredible experience. So I was really able to take what I'm strong in, which is developing relationships, and turn that into strong business wins and positioning the company in in the business line that I was in for future growth with key OEMs, with key automotive companies. And so I was on my way up the ladder feeling fabulous. And then we entered Chapter 11 reorganization. And there were no more opportunities to move up in the sales world. And again, I had an amazing, amazing, amazing supervisor. And I went to my supervisor and I said, hey, I'm ready for more. What am I going to do? And he said, go out and look on the job opportunity awareness line. And with his support, I did so and found this incredible communications manager position. And Linda, I can say, thank goodness I was naive enough to not know anything about it because I'm like, oh, this looks fun and easy and fabulous and a wonderful fit. And I said, I'm doing this. <laughs> and um, luckily, my, my manager said, you know what? I think you would be great at that. You go for it. And I did. And I got the job. And I was, and this again. Was at was it, this was at Schaefer? This was at Delphi. This is how I ventured into the communications world, which, as you mentioned, is my passion. I lucked out without knowing it. At the time, they had a lot of people who studied communications and journalism, but they didn't really have a link to the business. And so they were looking for people that had a business background. And I happened to time it perfectly without even knowing it. And that's why they, they brought me in because they said, yes, she can do this job and she's got the business focus and we want more of a business focus in communications. How do you tie everything to the business? right? You have internal communications, external communications, investor relations, all of these different kinds of things and shows and events. It has to have a business foundation. Otherwise, you know, it's just a nice to have, not a have to have. And so that's really where I really thrived. I had, you know, an incredible team. It was a global team. I had to bring them together to really develop themselves and to really take our our function forward. And from there, I was contacted after 13 years by Scheffler here in Fort Mill, South Carolina. They were looking to bring in a vice president of communications and branding to start up the function here in the Americas region. And that's how I got here. And it's an incredibly thrilling opportunity to be here. 
And, and uh, at Scheffler, you were also one of the first female executives for the Americas region. I mean, what was what, what has it been like? It sounds like, I mean, you, you talk about luck, but it sounds like you've continually had to prove yourself and certainly did not shy away from hard work. You know what, Linda? That's, that's exactly it. I mean, I, I feel like I have to prove myself every day. And and I don't know if that's a, a sad Lynn thing, a woman thing, an everyone thing. I think we all feel that way to a certain extent. But I think especially being a female in a male-dominated industry, and then being one of the first female executives in the region, it is tough. And I think I underestimated, I mean, for me, I'm like, well, no problem. I'm excited. This is fabulous. But you don't realize that not everybody is used to working in it with a diverse leadership team. And it's not that there's anything deliberate about it. It's just they're getting used to it. And so for me, I, I underestimated that challenge. And I, it's taken me some time to say, okay, how do, so I, I report to a CEO. This is the first time I've reported to a CEO or someone in the C-suite at that level. And I'm used to going in and talking about what we're going to do. And, and most of it for me is, I guess you could say soft side. And I underestimated the fact that, hey, my boss is very supportive, but if you don't have metrics, He's not buying into it, right? And it took me some time to really understand his style. And I guess that's the key for me is, and, and as, a, as a female leader, we have our own style and, I, and we have to be our own authentic selves. This is very, very important, but you also have to understand how your management team needs to understand a project or an opportunity. Is it a metrics driven? Do they need to see data? Most of the time they need to see data. And some, you know, in a soft, in, in, when, when you're dealing with internal communications and you're brand new and there's no data, it's hard to show data. So it, it's a very big challenge in trying to help to understand how your bosses and your board needs you to communicate with them and finding a way to make that link with what you're doing, find the metrics, you know, and that's where networking comes in, into play. <clears throat> it's really very important to make sure that you have a network of people to help you understand how your boss or your bosses or your management team receive information? And how have they done that? How have they been successful to help their management team understand what they're trying to do in their functions? And that for me has been invaluable. Yeah, no, that's great. Lynn, talk to us a little bit about what are the, what kinds or what examples of metrics are you using? So we, we call them key performance indicators. And what we try to do is we say, okay, you know, for example, if you're looking at um, employee engagement, you know, if you don't do if you don't do any kind of baseline survey to understand where the employee engagement is, you can't show them the, the progress that you're making with what you're doing internally with your communications or your you know your business communications. So, having sort of a, having a survey, understanding where you are in the benchmark, and then in between surveys, you're publishing a whole bunch of internal communications. You're having a lot of business meetings for the leadership and for the workforce. You're doing town hall meetings. Is that having an effect on your engagement level? And so these surveys help you understand the progress you've made. And in between, you're kind of documenting all of the different work that you're doing. You know, we have a new intranet site that's sort of like a social media platform. How has that impacted the business? You know, you have it's metrics driven behind that social media itself. You know, if you're doing social media, is it successful? And luckily, with social media platforms, you can give them the data that they need to see not only how many posts you're posting, but how many people are reading it, how inter how engaged people are, um, these kinds of things. What's interesting, Linda, is when you haven't done this before, you have to take some steps back to say, okay, before I say what we're doing on social media, I have to 
properly couch social media? What is social media? And position it and say, here is what it is, and here's why it's important, and here's what our competitors are doing, here's what we're doing, and here's the success rate, you know, and here's the engagement rate. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That gives them the framework. I mean, I'm sure a lot of these folks are not exposed to social media. No. And, and you know, in the beginning, so Scheffler is, was a private company when I joined, and now we are a public company. But in, in the beginning, you know, it was like, no, we don't want anyone to know who we are. We like being, I mean, a very successful company, but we don't have anything to prove. We don't need to be out there on social media. We don't need to be writing press releases. So that was, you know, when you become a public company, you have investor relations, you have expectations, you need to promote yourself and the good things that you're doing and the growth of the business. And so it's one of those things that takes time to explain. And it takes a lot of effort to position what you're trying to do from a business perspective. And I think that was something that it took me a while to learn here at Scheffler. And as soon as I was able to position things with my management team in ways that they could understand with metrics and business, it, it was well-received. Yeah. And so, you know, I think a lot of times we think that the resistance that we get is because they're not supportive. But I have found <laughs> a lot of times it's my own barriers that I can't see that I'm getting in my own way. Interesting. Yeah. And I think this is why I say don't give up because we may not realize, we may think, oh my God, it feels so personal, right? It's always personal. Why isn't this person supporting me? Why don't they understand what I'm trying to say? Why is this not working? And when I take a step back, I say, okay, it's not about them. It's always about me. You know, it's about me and how I'm positioning the information. And I expect them to, to understand me. I've also got to understand them. Right. No, that so, sense. And also, I mean, we talked about this a little bit before, but there are, I mean, you're dealing with a, a different culture. Chef is a German company, right? Yes, it is. So it's a different culture and it's a male dominated world. Yeah. Not only the company, but the industry. So, I mean, the industry for sure. Along the way, I'm sure you've come across the key differences, and maybe you could share what are the key differences between how men and women operate in your workplace? You know, and this has been the case in all of the different companies that I've worked for. Women have a completely different approach to leading than men do, for the most part. And we also are perceived differently. And I think that the, the challenge is for us to understand that as women but not to let that hold us back or think that we're at a disadvantage. We have to be our authentic selves and be who we are in order to get ahead. I, I, I've always reached out, to, uh, mentoring is very important. Whether it's a, a female leader or a male leader, it's very important to mentor and be mentored. I reached out to senior business line executives. She was one of the very few successful women in a previous company and she, and I had a great relationship and I would ask her for advice because she'd gotten ahead in this very male dominated company and industry. And I remember she said to me, Lynn, you walk too fast and you talk too loud. <laughs> and I, that was not what I was expecting to hear. Right. I'm like, she's going to give me some great business advice. Yeah. And I was like, what? And she's to the point where she's like, I think you might even have a hearing hearing problem. You, you need to get that looked at. Like, oh my, oh my gosh. <laughs> so I, for the longest time, Linda, I tried to walk slowly and I tried to control my voice. And then, you know, I was like, okay, I can't have any personal pictures on my desk. And okay, I've got to be this way and I've got to dress that way and look this way. And I was like, for a while there, I was no longer Lynn. And I will tell you that was, those were not successful years for me because I was trying to be someone that I wasn't. And I was trying to control who I am. 
and I've got a lot of energy. I'm very excitable. I, I do. I'm, I'm East Coast. I walk fast. I talk fast. I don't even realize it. And, you know, you got to take a look back when someone gives you advice. You know, you, you got to say, hmm, I'm going to take what matters to me and what I can make a difference with. But the stuff that I don't want, I'm not going to listen and I'm not going to take it. You know, I took it too seriously, like as if everything this person was going to say to me or a mentor was going to say to me was the gospel. When that's not necessarily true. There are people, too. And that may be their perspective, but that doesn't mean you need to take it to heart and say, okay, oh, I'm walking too fast. I'm never going to get ahead in this world. Right. That's not necessarily true. And, and frankly, it's bad you know, advice to tell you to be somebody that you're not. Yeah. You know, really, if you're not who you are and you're not your authentic self, then you're not bringing your skill set to work every day. Mm. And it's really important that you bring your authentic self to work. That's what makes companies great. If everybody is assimilated and they're very, there's the very same perspective and the very same person, the very same methods, you're not going to be diverse and you're not going to be successful. If you bring what makes you special to work, you are going to add to the, the, the fabric of that company who is then going to get ahead and be better than the average. It's, I mean, it's, it's, if you look at data, you know, they always talk about how diversity makes a difference in the success in the bottom line of a company. And that's because you have multiple viewpoints, multiple perspectives, multiple approaches to managing people, managing the business, and coming up with ideas and projects that will hit the bottom line that if you're all assimilated, you're not going to think about. You know, there's so many different ways to get something done. There's doesn't mean that one's right and one's wrong, but that diversity makes a difference. And that's where I think women come into play. I mean, a diversity, you got to have diversity gender diversity, you've got to have diversity of cultures, you've got to have all of this kind of diversity to really have a well-oiled machine of a company. And I think companies get that and they're working on it. You've, I mean, I've seen progress. My company here, we have, we have a lot of women in leadership now. We have a senior vice president. So when I, I was only the second female vice president in the Americas region, and now we have a senior vice president. And she is the first, obviously the first senior vice president here at Scheffler in the Americas and the first in the position that she's had. That up until now, there hadn't been a, a female in the role that she has in, in the sales world. Well, and Lynn, it's I'm, amazing. Glad, yeah, Lynn, and I'm glad you brought that up um, about just in, in management because, I mean, McKinsey has been kind of leading the way in studies, but I mean, it's documented that companies who have more females in leadership positions tend to be more profitable. But the mm -hmm. thing that I, I don't understand is if, if that is the case, why don't we see more women out there in senior positions? I think that's a complicated question. And there are multiple different reasons for that. I think I'm going to answer that with an example. So the first female that we had join as a vice president here in the region, um, she was a member of the regional board. And I was the second vice president and the second uh, member of the regional board. She, she re relays to me, I wasn't here at the time and she relays to me that, you know, they, after one of the quarterly board meetings, they would have a, a dinner for the board members and she walked in and silence, and there was a hush over the, the environment. And then the whole evening, the dinner was just really quiet and stayed and it was completely strange. And she had one colleague that she befriended and said, what in the world? And he's like, we didn't know what to say or what to do or how to act with you there. We've never had a woman in this in this environment with dinner. And it's not like they don't know how to act with women, right? Of course they do. But a female leader in this world where they've not had one for years and years and years, it's different. Yeah, It's like, it's like bringing someone into your, your friend circle that nobody knows you're going to be on guard. Right. 
it's natural, right? It's, it just is. And I think that's what happens. And then she had tenacity. She didn't give up. I have tenacity. I didn't give up. And you, you got to really take a step back and say, hmm, why is this? Well, they're not used to it. It's new. It's different. But that doesn't mean they're not receptive to it. It just means it takes patience on both sides. Right. And I think that's the key. Again, don't, don't give up. Try to figure out what's happening. Give people the benefit of the doubt and keep on going. Right. And then eventually it'll just get easier. I don't know. I mean, I think eventually it'll get easier. I don't think it's ever easy. Yeah, I have to work every day. I have to work every day to fight for what I think is right, fight for my team and and fight for all of the all of the diverse people out there. I fight for myself and it's not natural. I don't want to seek attention. I just want to do the best job that I can. But if you don't self-promote, for example, you're not going to get ahead. You have to self-promote. Right. I mean, okay, not everybody, but for the most part you do because otherwise you're one of a million. And it's very hard if you're already different to self-promote. It's a challenge. Mm. So, and speaking of, of just promotion and, and mentorship, I, I wanted, because we're coming in close on time, I, I wanted to talk about an organization that I know is very near to your heart, and you're also on the board of directors, but Women in Manufacturing. Could you tell us a little bit more about it, and why is an, or, an organization like this so important, especially now? Women in Manufacturing is an, an amazing association that's goal and, and mission is to support, promote, and inspire women in manufacturing from the shop floor to the C-suite. And this ties in very closely to what we've been talking about, how women need a network, you need mentors, you need people that you can connect with and talk with and share experiences with. And WIM does that. It does that for all levels within manufacturing. And while it is women in manufacturing, it's really, it, our, our goal is inclusion, right? It's not, I want just this. It's like, we want an inclusive workforce where women are very, where are a part of that. I mean, we have 50% of the population, but like 20 some percent in the manufacturing world. Well, we've got a lot of great candidates out there. So it's not only supporting the people that are already there um, with training and leadership programs and webinars and, and those kinds of things, but it's also helping people understand that manufacturing is a great place to work, right? There are incredible opportunities here. There really are incredible opportunities. And we want women here. We want the diversity here. We want women and men and people from all over to be in the manufacturing world. And how many, and I was, was going to say, how many members are there today? Oh gosh, that's a good question. I cannot answer that off the top of my mind. Okay. Um, we have several corporate members, of which Scheffler is a corporate member, mm -hmm. um, and then you can have individual memberships as well. And I can tell you, we're growing. We're growing, and um, we're continuing to grow, and we're growing such that we have actually we're introducing um, a Hall of Fame, Women in Manufacturing Hall of Fame, because we feel it's important that we highlight what women have been doing in manufacturing for years and years and years. And this will not only promote and inspire and support the workforce in manufacturing now, but help continue to introduce it to people that aren't aware of the opportunities in, in manufacturing, because there are plenty, whether it's in the plant or in a headquarters like me, corporate offices, the sky's the limit. And I will tell you, I don't have a single regret being in the manufacturing industry. It hasn't been easy, but I have learned and grown and developed so much as an individual. And here I am now as a vice president of communications and branding. And I don't know if that would have happened anywhere else. Mm. I don't know. I just know that I, it may have been hard for me to get the opportunities that I had, but now where I sit looking back, I'm like, you know what? 
manufacturing has been good to me. Although, Lynn, somehow I think that with you, anything would have been possible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I really wish that were the case. I mean, I've had so many dark days and it's so many challenges. And, and, the, and again, the thing, Linda, that has really helped me is being involved. Like, I, I will say that women in manufacturing and being on the board of directors, and now this year I'm, I'm vice chair, and that means I'm also on the board of directors for our educational foundation where my passion lies. Excellent. This network of people, when I go to the conferences, I am so inspired by the people that are talking to us as part of the panel or the women that we're talking to at lunch. Everyone has an amazing story and it propels me to go forward and it propels me to continue to do what I do because I want people to know that there are opportunities here. I want women to say, manufacturing is an option for me. You know, and look, communications, like this is a, a, such a fun function yeah. and you have exposure to the highest levels of the company, very new into your career. I want people, to, women, come here, come talk to me. <laughs> we have so many opportunities. We have so many opportunities across all the different types of manufacturing. Uh, and, you know, one, one question I do like to ask of all my guests is, uh, and I have, I have a sneaking suspicion what you're going to say, but looking back over your career, what advice would you give to yourself in your 20s or your 30s? Oh, my goodness. Believe in yourself. Mm -hmm. You have everything that it takes to be successful. Don't compare yourself to others because they're comparing your, themselves to you. You have what it takes to be successful. Don't give up. Push forward. Find uh, your trusted network, mentors, and be a mentor yourself and be yourself. Don't try to be someone that you're not. You're who you are for a reason, and you're going to contribute to the bottom line because of who you are and be part of that whole fabric. Own it. Own it. I love it. I love it. That is wonderful. Uh, any other last thoughts that you'd like to share with uh, our female listeners or end male listeners out there? Yeah, I just want to say don't give up on yourself. Believe in yourself. You have what it takes to be successful as much as anybody else does. I think really the most important element that you have is to be you. Don't give up. Believe in yourself. Create a network and give back. Don't forget to give back. Mentor up and down and across. Be yourself. Go for it. Oh, Lynn, that is one. You, you've got to do a TED Talk. You realize this. <laughs> <laughs> well, Linda, thank you so much. I mean, it's a privilege and I, I appreciate what Women in Manufacturing is doing, and I really appreciate the, the opportunity to come and talk with you, and, and it has been a privilege. Oh. Thank you so very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story and excellent, excellent insights. Thank you so much. And we are coming up on the close to our listeners out there. Thank you, and we'll look forward to seeing you again on our next program. Thank you for joining the WAM Podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.